0: So, this morning we we catch up with Jesus uh, at, at the Jordan River. And in Matthew's Gospel, we're going to hear about the story of how Jesus was baptized. And I just want, if you have your bulletins, there's a white sheet in there that has just a, has the passage of Scripture on there. And I just wanted you to take a look at one thing with me just to begin. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> she bailed me out twice today. Uh, Just the first one, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And, you know, it's surprising that John is trying to deter him, trying to prevent him from being baptized. And, I mean, does John get it? Like, he's John the Baptist. He's supposed to baptize people. And yet he's trying to prevent Jesus from being baptized. I mean, what's going on here? I mean, Jesus, of all people, he's saying, trying to prevent him from being baptized. I mean, does anybody, has anybody ever wondered about that? Or wondered what's going on? I mean, seriously, what, what is happening here? Why is Jesus coming to be baptized? But also, why is John trying to prevent him? Has anybody ever wondered about that? You just, sort of just read over that part and keep on going it's an interesting question for me, and I, I think it's an interesting question for us. I mean, the first one, why is John trying to prevent Jesus? Uh, I think the short answer, but we'll get into the long answer, the short answer is because he realizes who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he's saying, not so much like, no, you can't be baptized, but more like, Lord, you should be baptizing me. But there's even a bigger question here that maybe we kind of read over, we don't think about, but... Why is Jesus here at the Jordan River to be baptized at all? I mean, it's, it's not in the passage that we have in our, on our sheet, but just before this, John preaches a baptism of repentance into the forgiveness of sin. He's calling people out to the Jordan to repent, to turn around and to follow God and to be baptized. That for them baptism has this idea of I'm not going to be doing those things anymore. I'm turning around and I am redevoting my life back to God. So why is Jesus here? If this is a baptism of sin, what is what is Jesus doing here? I mean, is Jesus sinful? Got something he needs to be baptized of? As an example? example. Oh, as an example? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into some of that some more. Why is he here? I mean, has anybody ever thought of this? Is it just me? Honor tradition, show its humaneness. Has to do with the Holy Spirit. Here, let's let's look at the Word of God. This is why I love the Scriptures. This is why I love the Word of God because it is so rich and so full. Let me just read it again. Then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, "I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me?" Jesus replied. Let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. That's the old-fashioned way of saying landing on him. (laughs) Lighting on him. And as a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. The first thing I want you to take a look at is verse fifteen. It says Jesus replied to him, Let it be so for now that in doing this we would fulfill all righteousness. But Jesus is fulfilling righteousness in this moment. So we have at least a hint here. So let me just let me just let you off the hook. Jesus is not here because he has some dark sin that he needs to be uh, cleansed of or to, to be baptized from. That's not why he's here. Jesus is God's Son. There is no sin in him. Now that's different for us. Like we come to baptism and for us it's it's a going down, it's a dying to the old way of life and coming up a new person, a new creation, ready to live and to follow Jesus with our lives. For us, there's a lot to do with sin and being in repentance. But for Jesus it's not like that. In fact, actually it's Paul. For those of you who don't know Paul, Paul was one of the early pastors of the church. He was a missionary and started churches and wrote lots of letters that are actually the New Testament, what we call the New Testament. He said this one place, he was talking to the church in Rome, and he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The part I want you to focus on is that Jesus had no sin in him. There was nothing sinful in him. He was God's perfect and spotless lamb, without blemish. Now, it's not just Paul who says this. Peter, one of Jesus' first followers, he talks about it in his letters. John, one of his his followers, one of his disciples, talks about in his letters. Even in Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus was perfect and sinless, without sin. So I want to let you off the hook. Jesus is not here to be baptized because he had some sort of secret sin that he had to be taken care of. But why is he here? What is happening? So look at it with me. Look at verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Now, in and of itself, if you knew nothing else other than what you just heard, that would be amazing. I know it's in the Bible and we're used to reading right through it and thank you God and keep on going. But, This is amazing. I mean, imagine if you were there, seeing the the veil between earth and heaven opened. Opened. And light comes pouring down. The Spirit of God, you see it descending like a dove. Not necessarily a dove, but like a dove. And lighting on Jesus as he's come up out of the Jordan River. And you hear this voice that says, This is my Son, whom I love. In Him, I am well pleased. And it's not the sort of voice. I mean, I'm kind of sick right now, so. and I, even if I was perfectly well, I couldn't do it. But the sort of voice, not so much hear in your ears, but you more feel resonating in your chest. Imagine what people would have done when they heard this. They would have fallen to their knees and gone. They would have sprawled out on the ground. They have heard the voice of God, and they knew something amazing was happening. And they were probably afraid for their lives. Just to give us an idea of how amazing this is. But it's also pretty amazing when you start to hear not only what God is saying, but the scripture that he's quoting when he speaks. See, when he says, This is my Son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Those are, this is God quoting the Old Testament. This is God quoting things that He said centuries before Jesus even walked the earth. And it's sort of like when we start to hear these Old Testament—we're going to get into them a minute—but when you hear the Old Testament and how these words that God is saying about Jesus, it becomes like a soundboard. Does anybody know what a soundboard is? Soundboard is a part of a piano that that picks up the resonance or the the vibrations from the strings when you put the key and it hits the string. It, It resonates and it amplifies the sound. I mean, imagine, I mean, we do not we take it for granted, but imagine if the piano didn't have a soundboard and all you could hear was just strings being hit by little bumpers. But when you put the soundboard in it, it resonates and it's enough to fill the whole church. It's completely different. In the same way, the Old Testament, it's like a soundboard that when we hear God say, this is my Son, whom I love, and Him I am so pleased, it takes on a whole new meaning. It resonates. It gathers up all these words that God has said in the past, and it resonates. The first one I wanted to talk about was the fact that, that Matthew tells us and Mark and Luke that the Spirit came down and it rested on Jesus. Or it says lighted, which we don't really say lighted anymore on someone, but it, it rested on Him. And it reminds me of, of uh, what the, the prophet Isaiah said. He said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to bind up the broken hearted. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners and release from darkness those who sit in prison. To proclaim the, the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of God to comfort all who mourn. Is anybody remembering this? We said this this morning. To, to give them, to, to, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow upon them a crown of, of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of, of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of, instead of despair. All of this began, this whole passage about what God's servant would do, begins with, And I will, his spirit is on him. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news. Well, what about an earlier part of Isaiah? Isaiah's prophecies when he says, That a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear tons of fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord, get this, the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. A spirit of wisdom and and understanding, a spirit of counsel and power, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So here's this amazing moment where God's Spirit visibly comes and rests on Jesus. This is a big deal. I know we're used to talking about Holy Spirit and we we believe that God's Spirit is upon us. But this is a big deal. This is God putting His Spirit visibly on Jesus. But there's also this other tiny little detail. And many of you probably caught it, but it says that from the stump of Jesse, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Many of you know who Jesse is, the father of David, but for those of you who don't know who Jesse is, Jesse is famous largely because of his youngest son. His youngest son was David, the greatest king of the people of God, of Israel. He was God's great king. God chose him from the time he was a young boy, anointed him, Samuel came, he sent one of his servants, Samuel, to come, and and David became God's great king. And God was with him. And it was after David had finally kind of accomplished his kingdom that God made this amazing promise to him. God made this promise to David. He said, When you, when your days are over, and you go to rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. He will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Get this: I will be his father, and he will be my son. Does that sound familiar yet? About this is my son whom I love, that when Jesus was baptized? So, so God says, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does something wrong, I will, I will punish him with the rod of men and with floggings from people or from men. But my love will never be removed from him, like it was taken from, from Saul, who I removed from before you. He says to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. The throne of your kingdom will never pass away. So God has made this promise to his great king David that one day David, one of his descendants, will become an even greater king. A king whose kingdom will last forever, who will not pass away. This is a big deal for God's people. And it's a big deal that kind of comes to bear, or comes to bear on this, this moment of Jesus being baptized, that he is God's son. He also comes from the house of David. He's this king that God is promising. And actually, there's this quote in, in Psalm 2. It's one of the psalms uh, that people used to sing, when kings were coronated, which means when kings were made kings, like their crown was put on their head and they said, you are king now. They'd recite Psalm 2. He said, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. You are my son. And today I have become your father. Did you catch that? You are my son and today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. This amazing promise by God to this great king. So... Hopefully you're hearing some of how this soundboard is working here in the sense that, that God, when Jesus comes up out of the water and the Spirit of God is on Him just like it said in the Old Testament and God says You are my Son just like He promised that to David and through Psalm 2 that You are my Son that Jesus is, is this King this Messiah You guys with me so far? See where we're going? See what's happening here? It gets even better. It gets even better. Because God says, you are my son, or this is my son, whom I love, and him I am so pleased. It actually echoes another prophecy of Isaiah. When Isaiah says, this is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, in whom I am so pleased. I will put my spirit on him. There's spirit again. I'll put my spirit on him and he will, he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out. He will not raise His voice in the streets. A bruised reed He will not break. A smoldering whip He will not snuff out. In faithfulness, not in violence, not in power struggles, not in, by manipulation, not by coercion or by collusion, but by faithfulness, He will bring justice to the nations. By faithfulness, this servant will bring justice. And he will not falter, he will not be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands put their hope. This is what the Lord God says. The God who created the heavens and stretched them out. The God who, who spread out the earth and everything that's in it. The God who puts life or puts breath in the people on it. And life into those who walk This is what God said. He says, I have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind and to set free the prisoners, to set free those who sit in darkness from prison. It's amazing what God is saying here. That Jesus is this servant too. The servant whom God delights. Who's going to bring justice by faithfulness. Not by bombs and bullets, but by faithfulness. He's going to bring justice to the world. He's going to bring sight to the blind. And set the prisoners free. Jesus is this great King. He is this great servant of God. This amazing Savior. I hope what you're seeing in... in We'll see how this works, but... That you're seeing the verse, this passage, this story. We're hoping that you see it do... Nope. All right. So now you're really going to remember this. Remember that one time when Jason tried that thing? I'm hoping you're seeing the verse... This is my Son, whom I love, and Him I'm so pleased. I hope you are seeing the verse do this. Opening up. It is so compact. This is my Son, whom I love, and Him I'm so pleased. I hope you are hearing the soundboard, the Old Testament, getting wrapped up in God, quoting the Old Testament here, to help us see who Jesus is. To help us see that He is anointed here in this moment. It's true, He's gone down into the water and He's come up. Anointed with water, sure. But more importantly, anointed with God's Spirit. Now here's an interesting connection. We say anointed. But in Hebrew, the, the language of the Old Testament, they used to say mashah, which we get the word Mashiach or Messiah. Messiah literally means the anointed one. Jesus is this Messiah, anointed by God in this moment by His Spirit. His Son, whom He loves. His servant, in whom He delights, who will bring justice to the nations. Jesus is this King. He is the Savior and the Son of God, but He is also God's King, God's great King, who has brought God's great kingdom. I hope you're seeing this now. I hope you're you're seeing when God says, this is my Son, whom I love, the heavens have opened, and the Spirit has come down on Jesus. There's a whole lot going on here. This is a huge moment. I was thinking about it. It's almost like uh, like reading glasses. I, I can still read okay without glasses, but some of you will know what I'm talking about. When If you don't have your reading glasses, the page looks one way. The words are a little bit fuzzy, or maybe you can't see them quite at all. But when you put on reading glasses, it becomes clear. This, this baptism scene is like glasses to help us see Matthew's Gospel, to help us see what's happening. The truth: Jesus is our savior, but He's also God's king who's brought His kingdom. That God is, so that Jesus is God's savior. He is the savior who has saved us, and He is God's king who's brought His kingdom. Is everybody with me so far? Everybody seeing the connections here? How God is quoting the Old Testament and is helping us to see who Jesus is. So you guys seeing it? <laughs> But some of you are probably thinking, okay, I think I get it. I think I kind of hear what you're saying. But how does this connect with my life right now? How does this matter for me right now? What matters... Let me just explain this a little bit or talk to some about this. It matters for our lives because first and foremost, Jesus really is God's Savior. He really is the Son of God the Son of God who came into the world, who lived and who died on the cross and rose again that we might have life. We are saved in Jesus. He really is the Savior. God is the one who's come and He's come to make us right with Him. That Jesus really has reconciled us to God. So all the things that we've done, the things that we've done in our past, the things that we regret, the things that we've done and we know that we shouldn't have we wish we could go back and change them. The things that we're ashamed of. The things that we still carry around that used to separate us from God because of Jesus, they don't separate us anymore. The walls between us and God have been taken down by Jesus. The chasm between us and God has been bridged by the cross. We have been made right with God through Jesus We've been reconciled to our Father in Heaven. I know we say that a lot. I know in the church, especially as Christians, we've heard that for hundreds of years, thousands of years. So it's so easy for us to take it for granted. That's why there's books about the word cheap grace. People say, yeah, yeah, I know, God saved me. I, I know, great, thanks. I'll keep that in mind when I die. That we don't take it for granted. What God has done. But not only has God objectively, or, or whether we, however we feel about it or not, reconciled us to God, but it's also good for us now. It affects our life even now. The way that we live. The things that we have done that we regret. The things that we've done that we are ashamed of. Those don't need to hold us down anymore. In Jesus, we are a new creation. Those things no longer need to hold us back. We've been redeemed. You have been saved. God loves you like crazy and He's done everything to make it possible for you to be right with Him. That your, guilt, that your sin, the things that you've done wrong, the things that you wish you could go back and change, they don't have to keep holding you down. It's amazing news. But it gets better. As amazing, if that was all the Gospel was about, that would be enough. That would be amazing. That changes lives. I can tell you from my own experience that changes lives. But I have good news for you this morning. It's even bigger than that. It's even better than that. Look at me. Look at with me. At verse sixteen. It said As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am so pleased. When we start hearing that with the echoes of the Old Testament, it's as if it throws open the doors of faith. We start seeing that Jesus is Savior, but we also start seeing that He is King, who has brought God's kingdom. And so when we hear Jesus say, when we hear Jesus preach the gospel, when we hear Jesus say, the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe We start hearing our own salvation, but we also start hearing God's kingdom has come. We start hearing that God's kingdom has come. And that has implications for us personally. I want to acknowledge that. I would never mean in any way to diminish that at all, that God has saved us. And we have a personal relationship with the Lord God because of His Son Jesus. Amazing. But also we are made, we are brought into a part of His kingdom. If Jesus is the king who has brought God's kingdom, and we are his followers, we are kingdom people. Tracy was talking about it this morning with the kids. This king desires more people in his kingdom, not for his sake, but for ours, for theirs, to experience his kingdom, to see what it's like. Jesus is this great king. Amazing king. And as followers, we are called to kingdom work. Not that work in any way earns our place. That's not at all what I'm saying, so hear me say that. But, as part of God's kingdom, we are called to kingdom work. And kingdom work is this. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Kingdom work is loving the Lord your God. Doing just what you're doing right now. Showing up on Sunday to praise Him showing up on Sunday when the rest of our world says, you know, I've got better things to do, showing up here and praising Him. Setting time aside to pray. Setting time aside daily to read His Word and to to sing. To pray, to, to encourage others. These things are loving God. The work of the kingdom is also loving others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as yourself. This is kingdom work too. Gathering in small groups to encourage each other, to live life together, to pray for each other, to show up at each other's house when one of, the, when one of your group needs help, or to love people in our community, people you don't even know, people you just see walking along the highway and you give them a ride into town. Loving others is kingdom work and transforming lives. That's kingdom work. Jesus, I mean, he was, after he was risen, he split... Excuse me, he spoke to his disciples and he said, Therefore, all, heaven, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and transform lives. Be involved in God's kingdom. Then we start to see that God, Jesus is the Savior, but he's also the King. we start to realize that, our, that our, our relationship with God is important and essential. But our faith is also bigger. It's about serving others as well. Walter and I were talking about it this morning. He's talking about a report from... Uh, Walter, what was the organization that... Like a watchdog, I think you... yeah, they're, they're right, uh, watchdog. right. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that uh, two years ago, the number of Christians who were killed was around 100,000. And last year, that number was doubled to over 200, nearly a quarter of a million. 250,000 people. Christians. Our brothers and sisters who are killed because of their faith. While there's are telling that there are 50 countries where uh, it is permissible or you won't be prosecuted if you kill Christians. Our brothers and sisters. See, this is part of what it means to be part of the kingdom. Because it's real easy for us. It's real tempting for us to say, I'm so grateful for God. You know, he's, I'm, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I, I love the Lord so much and I'm just so grateful for what He's done, and we're so comfortable. That's a great place to begin, but we also have to keep moving beyond that. To keep engaging in kingdom work. Kingdom work like praying for our brothers and sisters who are being martyred in countries where they can't even gather to pray or to worship God. When we are called to, to take what God has blessed us with, to be a blessing to others, to share with others. Maybe people in our community who need help with food or need help with rent. Or maybe for us to share with people halfway around the world who struggle to just have even one meal a day. This is kingdom work. So we are amazed that Jesus is this Savior who has saved us. But I hope you're seeing today, this morning, at Jesus' baptism, that He's also this King who has a kingdom. And we are part of that kingdom. There is a connection with loving God and loving others. The more we love God, the more we will love others. That is a fact. But it also works the other way. When we realize, you know, I'm actually not really that loving of other people, that's a good signal for us that maybe our relationship with God isn't quite where it's supposed to be. When we're kind of thinking like, you know, I know I should help more people, but I'm kind of busy with my stuff that should be a signal to us that maybe things aren't quite right in our relationship with God. I hope that you're hearing this morning that Jesus is this God who has saved us, but He's also this great King who has brought His kingdom. I hope you're hearing that you are a saved people and you are a sent people saved and by saved I mean saved to our God, to our Father in heaven, may right with him. And we are sent out to to cultivate God's kingdom. Cultivate God's kingdom in our community here with our neighbors and sent out to cultivate God's community halfway around the world like Australia. We are saved and we are sent. Can you say this with me? We are saved and we are sent. We serve a king who has a kingdom. And you are kingdom people called into kingdom work. You guys with me on this? You understand how we're getting to hear all this from Jesus? Some of you are thinking like, man, I had no idea Jesus' baptism was so important. But maybe some of you are still thinking, okay, I get it. Jesus is Savior and He is King and we are part of His kingdom. But how does this work out in my life this week, Jason? How does this matter with the stuff I'm looking at right now this week? The first thing I hope is that you are seeing that God is our Savior, that we rejoice in that, but he's also so much more than that. The gospel is bigger. He is the king who has brought God's kingdom, God's kingdom that binds up the brokenhearted, that sets captives free, whether they are captives in a literal prison or a prison of addiction or a prison of sexual slavery or a prison of abuse or a prison of poverty, The king has come to set people free. And he's called you into it. You are his hands and feet. You are God's agents in this world. I hope you're seeing this connection here with salvation in the king. But I also hope you're seeing, or some of you are okay, practical, Jason. Get us to practical. What can we do about this? I want you to do one thing this week cultivate God's kingdom in tangible ways. I know, sort of a mouthful. But tangible ways. Tangible things like invite your unchurched friend over to your house for a meal this week. If a conversation comes up where you can talk about faith, great. I'm not saying beat them over the head with a Bible or badger them about faith. That's not what I'm saying. That doesn't really help most people. But I'm saying have someone over for supper and encourage them. Encourage them in faith. You know that means, can I if something is innocuous but as powerful as saying, can I pray for you? It sounds like a hard thing you're going through. Can I pray for you? That cultivates the kingdom. Or maybe you befriend someone who's struggling with addiction. Maybe you already know or have a friend who's wrestling with an addiction. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's alcoholism, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's gambling. But you befriend them, you touch base with them this week. Say, Hey, how's it going? And you encourage them. That's kingdom work. That's tangible. Or maybe you know someone in your neighborhood or someone who lives just down the road from you who's shut in. Who, for one reason or another, maybe it's a disability, or maybe it's just their age that they can't get out anymore. Especially in weather like this. But you go and visit them. Rudy, you're talking about visiting Esther. I mean, to go and visit someone for an hour. For someone who maybe you're the only visitor they've had in like a month. That's a big deal. That's so encouraging to people. That is kingdom work too. Or maybe it's, you know someone who lives just down the road from you who's a single mom who's working like crazy just to put food on the table and keep her kids in school. Some of you are handy. That's what I love about you. Some of you are really handy. Show up one Sunday or, one, or sorry, one Saturday or Sunday afternoon if you want to but show up and just say, I, you know, I, think you, I wonder if you could use some help. Got a couple hours. You need help around the house. Let me help you. That's kingdom work. Kingdom work is praying for our brothers and sisters halfway around the world who are being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. That's kingdom work. That's what I'm encouraging you to do this week one tangible thing for the kingdom. That's it. And I know some of you might have to reshuffle priorities. I know I'm asking you, reshuffle priorities. Do one thing for the sake of the kingdom this week. One tangible thing. And imagine what that begins to look like. As I look in this room and I see some of you from Six miles, As you start cultivating God's kingdom in Six miles, in Crescent Bay, in Long Beach, in Herod, in Proctor, in Queens Bay, in Balfour, in Mirror Lake, in Caslow. And I get goosebumps when I start thinking about you guys doing this. Cultivating the kingdom all along this valley. And we start to see people flooding into this place or churches in our community. People getting just a taste of God's kingdom and saying, I want more of this. If this is God's kingdom, this I like. I want to be a part of this. I see people filling into this place, crowded next to you, uncomfortably close. I see this place filled with people here worshiping God, praising God for what He's done. Praising God that He is their Savior, but also that He is the King who's brought His kingdom. I don't know about you, but I get goosebumps when I think about this. So hopefully, maybe some of you are saying, like, wow, I had no idea you could get all that out of, out of Jesus' baptism. <laughs> I hope you're seeing what's happening here. How amazing it was that God opened the heavens and, and Jesus is baptized and God said, this is my Son whom I love, and Him I'm so pleased. But I also hope you hear the Old Testament coming up out of the ground and helping us see who Jesus is. That He is this Savior who has saved us and He is this great King who has brought God's great kingdom. Amen.